0: Well, this morning is a special morning. We uh, we have Daniel Makeda is going to share with us today. One of the thing's Brad shared last week is that we are talking about we're planning and planting a new church in the Venice area, and. One of the ways that we want to do that is continue to train people. You'll notice that we often have different people up here speaking, not just myself or Brad. Um, And that is purposeful. It's not just so that we can take a break. We actually want to train other people so that they can continue to go out, and we want to plant more and more churches throughout the city, and so today, Daniel's going to come and share. He's going to be the first time he shares with us, um, and so we're excited about what he has to share um, this morning from Psalms and from from uh, from this from the, what we've been talking about, so let me pray for Daniel, and then, um, then we'll have him come forward. Our Father, we thank you that... Um, you equip people father i pray for daniel pray that your spirit would be on him father pray that you would use him to teach us and to call us into repentance and to call us into a deeper worship of love of you father pray that um that you would equip us to listen and to hear what you want us to have uh here today i pray these things in jesus name amen good morning
1: Thanks, Katie. So I'm Daniel. Thank you, Tripp, for the introduction. Um, Let's get started. So welcome back to the series, uh, Gathered and Scattered, Learning to Live a Life of Worship. And so what we're doing with this series is eight weeks, and we're taking parts of liturgy. How we worship God in our service, there's eight parts. Um, And we're seeing how that actually applies to the rest of life. Our service here, our gathering time, is, at, um, is is reflective. A person is a disciple here, but also outside of these walls in regular life. So, for example, Jared, uh, a couple weeks ago, taught us about confession. And we have time It's usually the second song. Is this going in and out? Cool. Oh, never mind. We have a time of confession. And that's not just for this... Uh, song or a certain prayer on a Sunday morning. It's like how we live our lives throughout. So we've talked about so far in this series, adoration, the call to worship, confession, assurance. And today we're talking about biblical petition from Psalm 25. Um, so what is biblical petition and how does it apply to our lives? Not just here in the service, but outside. Well, in Psalm 25, we see that petition is a kind of prayer. And there's many kinds of prayers. There's many kinds of prayers in the Bible. And petition is a certain form. In this psalm, or this prayer, we see that the writer David is asking God for deliverance from a horrible situation wherein an outside force threatens to ruin his life. Meanwhile, his own sin and shame and disobedience to God makes the circumstance worse. And as he asks for deliverance from his shame, he asks for his heart to be renewed. So we don't know David's situation exactly. We know that's horrible. We know that he has enemies literally trying to ruin his life. In verse 19, it says that they want to violently end him. David was a royal warrior king of ancient Israel in uh, this desert nation in uh, what what is now modern Israel. So it's like desert. He's like, this is swords. This is a guy who is literally fighting people. His enemies are real. And... What's even worse about someone trying to ruin you is that David is horribly tangled up in guilt and shame. Like, he's not only running for his life, he's torn up in the inside because he has disobeyed God about something. And we're not sure what the situation is, not for this psalm anyways. Um, But the point is, he finds himself combating outside forces that are trying to ruin him, and he's also being ruined from the inside out. In verse four, uh, 15 of this passage, he refers to his situation as a net. And this is really a beautiful metaphor, like, that he's writing. Because a net is something that will trap you, trap a person. I'm not picturing a water net. I'm picturing, like, a net for hunting in the, like, desert of the Middle East. Something that ensnares, um, a, a deer or a rabbit or something. Maybe a person. Maybe nets are used, like, in warfare, actually. And so like I'm picturing contraption and ropes and knots and catching your feet. He mentions his feet being in the net. And the more you try to get out, the more you jerk and pull, the more tangled and ensnared you become. So that's the picture that David is giving us in the psalm, and we'll read it. Um, And so David cries out to God because he knows he can't save himself. And he petitions God in a certain way. And so maybe you're here today and you're caught in a net or you know someone who is caught in a net. And maybe you have an enemy, like a relationship, an external force causing you distress. Um, Maybe this is like a a terrible boss or a horrible family member or a spouse or a friend who is literally coming in and like working to ruin you. (laughs) Or sometimes an outside force can be a circumstance like job loss or housing issues, financial issues. Sometimes they can be a death of a loved one, illness, an external force that we can't control that is working to ruin us. And we've all experienced something like this where we're trapped, the net is strong, and the more you try to get out, the more you try to figure out the net, it's like your limbs get tangled up here and you are more trapped. That's what makes a good net, and that's where David finds him. Self and what we're studying about today. So we're looking at David's model for petition and learning how to do it ourselves, learning how to petition God for deliverance while caught in the net of outside forces and inward shame. Um, So let me go ahead and read this uh, scripture, the Psalm 25, it's short, don't worry. Um, If you want to go ahead and look it up, pull it out, that'd be great. And then I'll pray after we read. I believe it's also on the screen. Cue it up. All right, so of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They they shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant as testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of his troubles. Petition. So let's pray and then we'll continue. God, thank you for today. Thank you for showing us a great example of how to petition you for deliverance. That you want us to ask you, you want us to come to you, you want us to share our burdens with you, and you want to change our hearts. So God, I pray that we can come to you now together, gathered up, and learn um, seriously what it means to to come to you in, in such a way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this, that we're able to come to you and, uh, and do this. And so, amen. So to give us some structure, we'll first look at this passage. And if you read that psalm and it seemed kind of jumbly, that's because it is. It's a raw journal entry sort of thing. Like there's a lot of pieces to, to it, and they're moving in and out of each other. And um, it, it looks a little hectic, but there's really four things that, make up a petition here. Four basic parts of asking God for deliverance from the net. And so, four things. Asking, remembering, following, and waiting. So again, asking, remembering, following, and waiting. So that first one, asking, super straightforward. Just do it. Nike, ask. David does it. He directly addresses to God. He says, in verse one, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Three times he makes requests, um, like to God, for deliverance. Look at verse two. Oh my God, I, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. It's amazing how much we can think about our problem, think about the net. I wake up early when I'm stressed about the net or whatever circumstance I can't control, or whatever horrible thing I've done that combines to make my ensnareness. Um, I wake up early, and I'll sit there, and I'll just think on it. And I'll, my thought will be, I need to pray. <laughs> but first, I need to figure this out. <laughs> and I'll think about it for so long and refer like back in my head, like, okay, I'm going to pray. Mm, but I'm going to like think about this. I'll like find myself doing a dishes or something. Um, To distract myself. And maybe these distractions come in more serious forms. But um, it's amazing how much we won't actually just ask God. We'll think about praying. We'll think about asking. We'll think about how he's going to do it. But we won't spend time actually talking with him. Having a relationship with him. David doesn't do that. David addresses him. So what are we believing when we don't pray? When we don't ask, we believe that God actually can't or maybe doesn't want to deliver us from the situation. Again, when we don't ask God, we're usually believing that God can't or doesn't want to deliver us. And that's that's us thinking and saying, I'm on my own. I'll figure this out myself. I messed up too bad. God isn't willing to hear. He's absent. Who's thought that? But, God doesn't expect you to save yourself. He's never expected you to save yourself. And how do we know this? Look at this psalm. David knows what kind of God God is, that he's one of deliverance, one that entreats you to ask him. And we may think, I've done too much. I've sinned too much. This is the barrier. But don't you know? Look at Jesus. God is... A gracious God, willing to forgive. And it's spoken about in this psalm, His character. Verse 8, He instructs sinners in the way. Verse 11, He pardons guilt. Verse 18, He forgives sins. Yes, we sin against God, but He's welcoming us back into relationship with Him. He has provided a way, and that's today we remember as Jesus. David was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. David wrote this probably around a thousand years before Jesus. He was looking forward and and remembering God's promises. And we look back at Jesus, and we remember God's promises. So there's come. Come and ask. And remember that he's already come for you in Jesus. Remember his character. And so that's the second thing. First thing is asking. Second thing, remembering. As you ask God for deliverance from your circumstance, from the net that so entangles you, remember who he is. David says in verse 6, look at it. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. I'll read it again. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. What is David doing? He's reminding God of God's own character. He's reminding God of his mercy and his steadfast love. And why is he doing this? He does this several times throughout the whole psalm, reminding God. Has God forgotten about who God is? Does God need to be reminded of his own character in order to save David? No, of course not. God doesn't forget who he is. He knows everything, including who he is. God also happens to know our needs even before we ask him. He knows about what you need deliverance from. He knows about your net and your situation and your shame. This is an exercise of prayer. As David prays, he reminds God of who God is, and in so doing, David remembers God's character. Does that make sense? David is reminding God, but it's an exercise of prayer for David to remember who God is for himself. From of old, I love that phrase, it sounds so like Tolkien, <laughs> the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> from the beginning, God has been faithful to his people. Remember the Bible, the stories from of old. Remember his character, how he's always been. Remember from the very beginning, despite the serpent's tricks in the garden, despite their deliberate disobedience, God takes care of Adam and Eve. There's consequences, but he never stops loving them. He never stops taking care of them. Abraham and Sarah, another two famous characters from the Old Testament, before David. God makes a promise to them, a son and a nation. It's not happening. But we see from their story that God is actually going to fulfill his promise. They're in this phase where they think, maybe God isn't faithful. Maybe his steadfast love isn't real. Maybe he has no mercy. He makes empty promises. That's not true. Remember the stories. Remember the Israelites were in Egypt. They were in bondage to the, uh, the, the Egyptians. They were in slavery, crying out for deliverance. Generations go by. Has God forgotten them? He delivers them and takes care of them. Brings him to the promised land. David is delivered from Saul, the king of Israel prior, who was trying to kill David. David has many enemies. God delivers him. And God comes through today. And he came through for you in the person of Jesus. So remember Jesus, and you'll remember God's steadfast love and mercy for you. Remember as you ask. So... When I feel anxiety about being caught in the net, I don't have to despair. I don't have to forget. And maybe this net that I'm experiencing, or that some of you are experiencing, or some of your loved ones have experienced, are more terrible than any like, circumstance prior, any like illness that's come in, or any like relational brokenness. Maybe your mistake has never been bigger, your sin never more horrible. And we don't know like, how God's going to resolve it. But look at his stories. Remember his steadfast love. He doesn't forget his people. He hasn't. And he won't forget you today. He comes through on his promises. And we know that. It's Jesus. He came in the form of Jesus. Rose from the dead. He's miraculous. God loves you. Third part of petition, following. So asking, remembering, following. As we're asking, we remember, and as we remember, we follow. David, uh, David knows there's a right path, a right way to follow God, even in this circumstance of the people trying to get him and of his own, like, tangly sin situation. There's a right way to be in the net. Verse 8 through 10. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way, he leads the humble and what is right, and teaches the humble His way. All of the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. See that? It's talking about paths, ways. Do you see what this is saying? Even in the circumstance, in the midst of outside forces and inner turmoil, there is a way of love and faithfulness. There's a way to behave faithfully to God while in the net. You don't have to flounder. When we take matters into our own hands, it produces classic stacking of like bad situation. I'm thinking of like the cartoons or the TV shows where someone comes into a mistake, they make a mistake and they have to lie to cover up that mistake. And then that lie is like, "Oh, wait, shoot, but I got to like fudge this truth here." And then you fudge that truth, and you've got to cover up this one. It's a big shame thing. Someone starts to discover the person lashes out, hurts a relationship, everything's melting, tangling, ruining. There's a way to follow God and to obey Him even in your circumstance. There is a way. And so, <laughs> great there is a way. We know this from this passage, but what is it? And so maybe we spend a lot of time laying in bed and thinking, okay, how do we? How, what, like, I've spent a lot of time thinking, how do I get myself out of the net? Or what is the right way to be in the net? I want to be faithful to God. I've got no other choice, but what do I do? And we know from reading this psalm that David doesn't actually know what he's supposed to do either. And so what does he do? He admits it. He admits that he doesn't know the way, and he asks for God to teach him. Verse 4 and 5. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Again, there's a right way to be. Oh, shoot, I don't know what it is. David shows us it's okay to ask. Ask to be shown the right way to be in the net. Ask for him. There is a way. It's here in Scripture. A way of obedience. A way to not do that stacky, lie shamey, lash outy, further entanglement thing. Seek it. And ask him to change your heart if you feel like you can't do the way. Ask him to teach you. This is petition. Let go of your own way. And it's horribly, like, it turns you inside out. To let go of a situation, what would the sacrifice be? If I truly surrender this to God, what would that mean? Is it a pit in our stomachs? What could I possibly give up to let go of my own way of deciding what is right and wrong here and submitting what is right and wrong to God, submitting to what He says? And like honestly, it can be revolting to open up our hands. Turning us inside out. And if you feel like you can't do it, ask Him to change your heart because it is the right thing to do. And because He loves you, we remember that He has a way of love, of steadfastness. He's faithful to you. He's going to take care of you as you open your hands and let go of whatever it is, as you stop struggling. He's a loving God. Invite Him in, pray, and ask. He's firm but tender. And he's steadfast in his love for you. Fourth thing, waiting. And so what else is there left to do? We've prayed, we've remembered, we lifted our souls to God and have asked for him to show us the way to change our hearts. And yet we're still in the net. The circumstances have not changed. The threat looms. We're still sinning. We're still making the same mistakes. David, as he writes this psalm, is in the net. He's not writing this on the other side. He's writing it from within. He hasn't been plucked out of the net yet. And what does he do? Verse 2, he declares his trust in the Lord. Trust as you wait. Verse 5, he says to God, You are the God of my salvation. For you I wait All the day long. And it's so hard. Why would God let this go on? Why would God let this external force happen to me? Why would God let me continue sinning? We might not know the answers. And it could bring us to despair. And though we... We'll sometimes learn, or lots of times, learn in hindsight what this whole, like, like, once we're out of the net, once God delivers us, we'll know, like, oh, it was like this, it was like that. I see now, God was doing this the whole time. Sometimes it takes longer. And then God doesn't promise to tell us in this life the answer to our suffering. But what's really great is that we get to look at Jesus, the truth of Jesus, God himself, God himself. Came down onto earth and suffered with us. He's not absent from suffering. And Jesus, though he is ascended, in Acts and Matthew, we know that Jesus is no longer present on earth. The Spirit has come. The same Spirit that is in Jesus is now united with those who follow Jesus and who have committed their ways to Jesus, who have opened their hands to Jesus. The Spirit has come and His presence is with you in your suffering as you're in the net. As you don't know the answers, God knows the answers. And He doesn't always tell us. And why is that? I don't don't really know sometimes. Again, we look at Jesus and we remember that God is not absent. He loves you. He cares for you. Recognize it. Put your faith in Jesus. Lean on Him. He is your hope. He is waiting and wanting you. I'm going to finish with a fictional story about a dragon and a lion. And this comes from the book uh, The Voyage of the John Shredder" by C.S. Lewis. It's a kid's book written in the 50s. Many of us know this story. It's a beautiful picture of the net, so to speak. So Eustace is this British kid Um, and he's a jerk. He's a jerk to his family, he's a jerk to his friends, and he and his family, one family member, get sucked into the magical world of Narnia, where there's all kinds of fairy tale realities in this world, and there's a huge ship, and he's on the ship, and they're on a mission, and there are heroic battles and, and monsters, and, Though it's so great, Eustace the whole time is just a jerk. And he doesn't like anyone, and no one likes him because of how he treats them. And one day, the Dawn Treader, that's the name of the ship they're on and the namesake of the book, it arrives on an island, and Eustace finds on the island this hoard of gold, of treasure. And so he's really pumped on it because he's like, ah, vindication. I don't need all those other jerks that don't like me. And I have all this um, wealth now, and they're all gonna get it because I'm not. They're not gonna get the wealth. He's gonna keep it. They're gonna like, huh. I'm better than them. <laughs> They'll finally know that he's like better. It's late at night. He falls asleep on the gold, and unbeknownst to Eustace, the gold is cursed with a dragon curse. And when Eustace wakes up, he's a dragon. He is horrible. And ugly, kind of powerful as a dragon. And he tries to go back to his friends. He is like immediately, "Uh uh-oh, I messed up. Goes back to the Dawn Treader, to the ship where all of his family and friends are. And they're like, ugh, you can't be here. And there's this terrible tension and isolation that he experiences because of this curse that he had no idea about and his terrible decision and attitude. He's landing himself in this spot and he's isolated, and he ends up trying to help the people as much as he can, but it's still a fact that he cannot go on with them on the ship. They must leave and he must stay because he is a giant dragon and cannot go on. And Eustace starts to realize this slower and slower that he's doomed and that he cannot save himself because he's now a dragon. And so one night, he is laying awake on a starry, moonlit night. And he opens his eyes, and across the beach, he sees an an enormous lion. And though Eustace is a dragon, he's terrified of this lion because of the presence and the power and the confidence and the majesty of this lion, the glory. And... He closes his eyes and he hides himself because of this lion. He doesn't want to be approached by the lion. And then even though he hides, the lion's voice comes, sweet and firm, and says, come, follow me. And so Eustace reluctantly goes. And the lion leads him through the jungle and into this garden where there's a pool of water. And Eustace in dragon form, he understands that he's got to go be in the pool of water. The lion tells him, bathe. But first, undress. And Eustace realizes, oh, undressing means to take off these dragon scales. So he like, starts to scratch with his dragon claws. They're quite sharp, I guess. And he takes off a layer of his skin. He's like, sweet, I'm ready to get in the pool. But he looks down, and there's another layer underneath. Another layer of dragon scales. So he's like, okay, I'll do it again. So he scratches that one off, and there's yet another layer. And Aslan, the great lion, looks at him and says, You're going to have to let me do it. And Eustace looks at his claws and is horrified. He says that terror was in him when he saw the claws and what he knew was going to happen for the lion to deliver him. And he says he was pretty desperate by now. And so he submits. He lets Aslan do it. Aslan, well, he lets him, but Aslan also kind of comes. It just (laughs) doesn't. And sinks his claws into Eustace, the dragon boy, and he says that it feels like the claws go straight to his heart. The pain is unbelievable, and off rips all the huge, gnarled, mangled dragon flesh and skin and hide and scales. And there's a boy there. And Aslan grabs Eustace and hucks him into the pool, and he says it smarts, it stings, burns. And when he comes out, he breathes in the joy of his. Deliverance and his deliverer is there. And so from that point, Eustace is able to return and be with his friends and family again. And so C.S. Lewis is a Christian writer, and this is a specific illustration of God's character, of God's deliverance. This is a metaphor for, for what he wants to do for you. And let him do it. Let us leave here today knowing that God cares about you and He cares about you asking Him for deliverance. He's proven from the stories of old that He's a God of steadfast love and faithfulness, one that delivers His people and one that rescues. He wants you to follow His way of love and faithfulness, even as you're in the net, and He expects to teach you and even to change your own heart for you. And for you to wait. Trust in Him. That's biblical petition. And that's what I leave you with today. So thank you for listening and being attentive. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks, Daniel. I think the good news of the gospel is that uh, when we do petition God, he answers. He's not a God that doesn't listen like Daniel spoke. But even more than that, we, we know from the stories of old of Jesus that he answers and he heals our petitions. And He no greater healing than took place that would, took place on the cross. And as we go to communion, that's really what we celebrate. We were reminded of the stories of old, of how Jesus actually petitioned God himself for you and for me. And God answered that prayer by calling you and me into his family and ripping the scales of sin off of us and placing us in his family. And so as we go to the table, we're reminded of that. We're called back to, to those things, to, to confess, to be assured of his goodness and of his grace and of his faithfulness to us. And so we want to encourage you to, to go with those around you and remind each other of God's truths and remind each other of what he's done for you and petition him. Call out to him. Ask him to, to change your heart, to save the things that you have been holding and worshiping instead of him. And I want to read here from 1 Corinthians. It says this. And this is from uh, the Last Supper before Jesus went to the cross. For I received this from the Lord, what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. until he comes. And so, as we go to communion, what we're doing is we're proclaiming that God is faithful, that he does answer our petitions, that he did answer that in the form of Jesus by giving himself for us and not just dying, but rising from the dead so that he could actually give us new life. And so, let me pray and then we'll take some time to go to communion together. Uh, Father, we thank you that you loved us so deeply, that you willingly came. Um, And that you actually suffered the pain of being ripped apart. That you had thorns pressed into your head. Had nails driven into your hands and in your feet. That you were beaten and scarred for us. So that we would no longer have to feel that pain. Father, I thank you that we get to be a part of your family. Father, pray that we would not turn to our own ways to figure things out but that we would call out to you, that we would wait for you, that we would believe your truths and follow your ways. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.